Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the Sassville Podcast, where our community is spicier than a food truck at a hot sauce convention. Feel the burn? I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft a business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. Well, raise your virtual hand if you have mastered the art of a buffet. I mean, so many hard choices, a little bit of this, and ooh, what's that over there? And you pile your plate up high, and then halfway through, you're like, oh, no, I shouldn't have got that extra scoop of mashed potatoes. I don't do buffets that much anymore, but yeah, I sure did in college. I mean, one of those rare times of going out, and I'll tell you, you get a few football players, the basketball team together, and we could destroy a buffet. It was mayhem. And business, I don't think, is that much different. Now, many companies load up their plate trying to serve everyone and end up with heartburn or worse. If you've been to a restaurant lately, chances are that you've come across an app called Toast. They're one of my favorite vertical SaaS platforms. They started as an app so people could pay their check on their phone. It's a pretty cool concept. Super, super helpful. And they've grown quite a bit more since then. And they could have chosen lots of markets. I mean, how many places would that be really convenient? Just, you know, scan it and pay your check over the phone. But they rolled their app out to very, very specific market. And that was the restaurant market. And the funny thing is that there were much larger established competitors when they started. So much so that investors thought it was a losing bet. You know, like, you know, you're never going to be able to unseat those giants. They own that business. And I'll tell you, they really missed out on that one. But toast made the competition. Burnt toast. I'm a big, big fan of vertical SaaS and finding underserved markets where you can provide that hero product, that next level of service. There's actually a chapter in my book, and the principle is to get big go small and it's really get laser focus. So here's the game plan. First, we want to identify your sweet spot. Don't just go where the crowd is. Don't just do the popular thing. Find an underserved corner where you can truly, truly shine. And what market that you know of, or maybe you don't know of, need to do some research, but what market experiences extreme pain from the problem that you solve? And I mean extreme pain, like they want to pay to have this thing fixed, not like it's a little bit of a bother, but this is something they want to fix and fix now. So we want extreme pain that you serve really well and is being ignored by others in the space, just like toast. Second, dive deep. If you're going to be a master chef, you know every single ingredient that goes into a dish. You're not just pulling it out of the freezer and popping it in the microwave. You know what's in there. Is a buffet the best food? Well, of course not. It's quantity and variety over quality. There's a place for that. But what if we trade the buffet experience for a five-star steakhouse? Then are we missing out? Specialization is not about missing out. It's about focus and becoming an absolute expert in one area. Don't dabble. Don't stay at the surface. Leave the industry mushy middle. That's where companies go to die. Push past the fear of missing out on revenue, of not serving everyone, and maybe even saying no to bad fit revenue. Quality experience. Focus in and go deep. Third, speak their language. You're not just yelling into a void. You're having a conversation with a community. Or take that a step further. You're having a conversation with a specific person in that community. Tailor your message so precisely that your target market thinks that you're reading their mind. If your prospects have a problem they're trying to solve, there is a conversation that's already going on in their head. And there's probably one about the solution as well. Step right in the middle of that conversation and guide them. Know them so well 
that you use the same words and phrases that they do when they talk about the problem and the solution. So who's ready to stop being a jack of all trades and become a master of one? It's time to toss away the fat and the buffet thinking and go for the filet mignon. Let's get specialized. What do you think? If you could use a higher quality B2B SaaS community experience and strategic advisors on your SaaS journey, check out today's sponsor, Champion Leadership Group. It's the ultimate resource for SaaS founders and C-suite executives to continue to develop themselves, scale their companies, and never walk alone on the journey. Supercharge revenue by leveraging our time-tested SaaS growth principles, toolkits, playbooks, and frameworks designed to help you scale ARR from seven to eight to nine figures. Collaborate with an elite network of SaaS visionaries as we up-level ourselves and our teams and have quite a bit of fun along the way. Confidently take that right next step that turns into a quantum leap of profitable growth, premium valuation, and freedom. Learn more at championleadership.com. Our expert last week was Martin Huntbach, award-winning marketer, best-selling author, and director at Jammy Digital, where he and partner Lindsay help SaaS companies find and retain customers who become super fans of their products. Our founder on Tuesday was Shanif Danani, founder and CEO of Locusit, former co-founder and CEO of Aptio and an uh, instrumental part of Tap Commerce before that. We talked about how companies mine valuable intel out of their data using AI and his journey building multiple successful companies and a few mistakes along the way. My guest today is Omar Jordan, the founder and CEO of Coviance, formerly LenderClose. They're a fintech company that is making the home equity lending process simpler, faster, and more scalable for community lenders through their cloud-based platform. Prior to Coviance, Omar founded multiple ventures, including National Loan Closings, which was acquired in 2018. Welcome a multi-time founder who is crushing it in the vertical SaaS market and delivering solutions his clients absolutely love. Omar Jordan. Hey, Omar, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Well, tell me a little bit about your background. It's very different than most SaaS founders. <laughs> well, um, I'm, a, I'm an immigrant. I've uh, been here for quite some time now. Uh, moved to the U.S. when I was 15 years old. Uh, uh, originally lived in Orange County, California, and then somehow ended up in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, at all places. Uh, and I call that home. Uh, nice. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, now we have kids, and, and so it's, it's hard to, uh, you're stuck here, no matter how cold the winters are. You know, every <laughs> February, I remind myself. And they are cold. Right. Every February, you start to think, why why, don't, why am I still here? So, <laughs> waiting on the kids to graduate, so uh, locate somewhere warmer. Outside of that, uh, really just uh, <clears throat> worked my way up uh, corporate America for just a little bit, uh, from, from loan officer to to uh, management, and then from there, the economy collapsed in 2009. And that led to yeah. me having to make a tough decision. Do I go back into uh, the corporate world or do I cash out my 401k and, and take a stab at something and see what happens? And <clears throat> that's what I did. Started one company, led to another, led to another, led to another. And, and here we are. So it's a, you know, it's a, what do they call a success? Uh, it's an overnight su success that took 30 years, right? Right, right, <laughs> right. Well, tell me the inspiration behind founding Coviance and, how it simplifies home equity lending process for community lenders. Um, uh, formerly known as Lender Close, uh, Coviance uh, is is the rebrand that we um, come up with this this past year, and, and that went really really well. It was well received by our clients, but um, you know it was back in 2010 2009 when the economy um, took a dip. There was a new entity that was formulated, and and, and it was uh, called the CFPB, the Consumer Financial right. Protection Bureau. And what that did on community banks and credit unions was added a level of pressure that they didn't have before, meaning they were suddenly scrambling to understand how to navigate this this new compliance uh, that, that that was introduced, uh, and, and not only that, but really 
put processes and technologies around that navigating those those processes. And so the idea came of okay, taking these industry providers that that help facilitate a closing process, a loan closing process, and put them into one platform that allows the credit union or community bank to access. Um, and and there you have a marketplace of industry providers that allow you to say, oh, I need to order this product because that's what my policy requires me to do. And then I need to order. That's the emphasis of the idea when it started initially. And then from there, it becomes really, really cool when you hire amazing talent to think alongside you. You start to think about automation and, and, and integrating uh more providers and integrating more solutions to make uh, your your product more market ready and marketable to bigger banks, bigger credit unions, and so on. So that's the founding that's uh, the idea behind finding the covines. I love that. And how did you decide to do the rebrand? What was the, the driver behind that from lender close to covines? Yeah, well, a lot of factors led to that. So. You know, lender close, uh, it was a bit confusing. It was very uh, technical name. Uh, you know, some people thought we actually go out there and close loans, right? And, and, and so it wasn't speaking to the fact that we are a technology company. So in the back of my mind, I'm terrible at branding and naming, by the way. So like if I come up with a company, I call it what it is. And most of the time, it's probably a bad idea. So that's what I did back then. Um <laughs> And, and I hired a chief marketing officer, and uh, one of the first questions that she put on my desk was, what's on the table? And I said, everything on the table. She said, including the name. And I was like, you know, Jill, listen, you just called my baby ugly, but I get it. I get it. And if we have to go that route, then, then, then that's fine. I'm willing to listen. And so we went on a journey of discovering what it might be. And, and that was a fun process. Uh Painful when it's something that you've created, right? For constantly sit in meetings and just get pointed out about how terrible that name was. But it was fun. Right. It was funny. Uh, and, and we had a good time doing it and finally landed on Covience. And, uh, if, if, if you don't mind, I'll sort of tell the story behind why Covience. Please. So. Yeah. Covience, it's, it's a, the co is for a spirit of collaboration and, and, and just working together. We, we love to work with our customers, banks and credit unions to hear them out. Collaboration internally via is a path forward because that's the destination we always want to, uh, move towards. And then, and so it's a, it's kind of a fun spin, performance, finance, compliance, anything that you can spin into it to, to, to make sure, uh, again, to tell a story of, of, of what, what we do. So. Here it comes, Covience, and, and we just, just stuck, and, and we've been celebrating it since. Our customers just embraced it. The, lo- the rollout of the rebrand was terrific. What a good job the team did here, really, to go from lender close to Covience just overnight, uh, and we didn't have a single hiccup. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it's not an easy thing to do either. No, it's not. Not, not when you're... You know, four or five years into growing a business, and now you've got 450 customers, and and you really built some level of reputation around uh, the previous name. But it was well well received, um, and and we're grateful for it. Uh, and I love to see the the growth path. And, and like you said, over 450 <laughs> banks, credit unions on the platform. Um, tell me some success stories. How Covians has helped transform the lending experience. For these institutions, I mean, a lot of them, you know, kind of stuck in the past, and you've brought them into the future. Yeah, and, and some are still are. It's it's funny. We were talking to a credit union yesterday, and they're still leveraging old technology, um, Excel spreadsheets, and 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 you know, paper notes here and there to to basically get in tune with where a loan file is, and what we do is we take their underwriting metrics, right? So if you walk into a bank and you apply for a $10,000 home equity loan, they're going to have to ask you for a pay stub. They're going to order what's called a flood determination to make sure your property is not in a flood zone. They're going to order a valuation on the property. Um, we have a host evaluation product, a title product, for example. Um, they're going to order loan documentation. All of that, you, the borrower, don't know that takes place behind the scenes. Well, Right. What happens for a lot of those banks and credit unions, they don't have these integrated 
providers into their system. And so you're finding them emailing uh, an order there and going on this website to do that and and maybe mailing a letter to the county to retrieve certain documents to make sure they're in the right lien position and so on. So the, the process is so convoluted. It is unmotivating. And change management is extremely difficult. And added to that training, you bring in Nobody, you know, wakes up and says, I'm going to be a loan officer because I love how complicated the process is. And so uh, allowing them to push a button to automate the process. So we take the metrics, the if this, but that, do this. If the loan to value is Y, then order this product or go to the borrower and ask for additional documentation. All of that is automated in Coviance so that the loan officer, the processor, the underwriter pushes one button and then the flow the waterfall of effect uh, starts to take uh, take place, and we, we we give them the data back, right, so that they can make compliant, uh, risk uh, free decisions based on the data that the Coviance provides back to their system, or they use Coviance as a system of records. Nice. And so, technology transformation, you know, in an industry that is is definitely legacy. Yeah. Uh, has that been a big challenge in in you know, getting them to the cloud, for example? Is that something that's really scary for them or is it something they're really comfortable with now? That was about five years ago. Uh, I don't know that we run into that anymore. But, man, even five years ago, AWS and Azure were still around, right? But you still hear about right. the, the, the fear of it. There are still banks and credit unions that are living on-prem uh, still. And I don't know that the decision to move to the cloud is, is fear, while that might be a percentage of it. I think the other part is the cost to actually migrate if you're at a certain side mm. from here to there and, and, and the consequences uh, of, of migrating. But, the, you know, we don't hear a lot about that. Um, what we do run into, which is really cool, is um, there are technologies that, have historically been on-prem that are building, uh, you know, middlewares to allow them to now communicate to cloud-based environments. And uh, while that's clunky sometimes, but uh, we're seeing the appetite for it more and more. That's good. More than we did five years ago. Now it's making those decisions to really move that forward when it comes to from on-prem to cloud. You know, security is a big thing for banks and credit unions. And I feel for them because, uh, you know, they build a, 11 foot fence. Yeah. Somebody comes up with a 12 foot ladder every year and, and there's raise the yeah. fence up and somebody comes up with a 13 foot ladder every year. So it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge that we all face, not just our banks as consumer. And the more we, we, we get diligent and smarter about how to navigate those, it's, uh, it's a thing. It's funny. My staff gets text messages from a phone number every day that says, uh, Hey, it's Omar. Go pick up some gift cards at the grocery store and, Mine too. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. So we're we're learning. We're learning to uh, like. Okay, here comes Omar's uh, gift card thing again. I'm sure that's not true. (laughs) Yeah, it's become urgent urban legend around the office, and and people joke about it. But what's crazy is it. It seems like it's new people. Yeah. And so, like in the first couple of weeks, they change jobs. They they start and they'll get that text message or email crazy yeah yeah no it's uh it's fun my board of director got it my investors will get those uh, uh you know <laughs> i don't i'll go get my own gift uh, yeah yeah I, i'm sure you're asking your investors to go get you gift cards right. from some unknown number <laughs> right. I, but security is a big deal and i think you know, a lot of companies try and do it themselves, and and that's that's a scary thing. Instead of leaving it to somebody who, oh. who's doing it in mass and lives in that world, you know, what have you done for your clients to help them with data security and privacy? I mean, financial transactions, there's not much, you know, higher level than that. Customer information. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, and it's a broader broader picture uh, than security, especially for banks, credit unions. So yes, well, you should certainly outsource as much of that security uh, lift as you can because um, there's there's you know banks and credit unions need to focus on what really matters the most is the financial wellness of their customers and and and, and right protecting them from any predatory lending and, and and so on and expanding their tam their total addressable market so that they impact the community in, in ways that no 
fintech that's that's a you know lending fintech can maybe do uh, what we champion for is for for technology innovation fintech payments there's no reason for a bank and or a credit union that's on a community scale to really invest in their own right infrastructure staff developers engineers product folks um unless the idea is radical and that's where we champion partnering with fintechs and uh, in a credit union world there's a term that you'll hear occasionally called a credit union service organization a qso and in order to be a qso you have to have at least a dollar an investment from a credit union and have a uh, customers on a platform that are credit unions. And so partnering with QSOs too, right? These are, these are organizations that are designed and in place to help credit unions move their business forward. Uh, they rally behind the mission of what a credit union is community really focused, just like banks are too, that are community banks. And so taking advantage of those fintechs that have already uh, gone through the pain of growing a business and the pain of, developing yeah. and building technology and the pain of developing and building security uh, products, measures uh, to, to, to put that forward in front of you as a customer. That's the right approach for me. It costs you less. And believe me, I know it costs more, uh, double and it takes twice the time to, to, to build technology. And every startup founder will tell you that. You, you think it will cost a million, it's going to cost you th- three. And you think it will be six yeah. months, it's going to be six years. And, uh, you know, that's, yep. that's just how it works. So, um, that's why we're always <laughs> raising money, right? Like we, we've got to, we got to make sure we've got enough runway to continue, uh, scale. Um, so that's what we, yeah. that's what we encourage. Now, what we have done is obviously hired the right people to make sure, uh, we're on the right track to, to, to ensure our customers' data is protected. We're following the privacy laws for the states to which our customers are in. Uh, and um, anything that we can do to make sure <clears throat> our customers feel secure and their customers are in a secure place, we we continue to do, and we're diligent about it. In fact, our CTO has a C, his CIO background, and so she is uh, she's a hawk when it comes to processes and make sure everything's buttoned up, reviewing code, training our HR. Uh, it's constantly doing training on security and so on for our staff. And, 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 and we do what we can. We're, you know, SOC 2 compliant and that's, that gets audited twice a year or once a year. And, um, and, and just focus on uh, providing customers the best service in the most secure way. That's great. You have an impressive growth record, 1100% over three years. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Um, it, how did you decide whether to bootstrap or take funding and, and at what point, and then how did you deploy capital? Yeah. Um, my situation was slightly unique early on. I had, I was a kind of like a small entrepreneur. I had five businesses going on. One was doing great. The other one was just getting started. So I used, it was just me. Right. And that was back in 2010, 2009. Um, I had five companies at some point and I was running all of them. And so as ideas come to me, I would invest some of these dollars that I'm making in this company A into company B. And, you know, I, I don't want to say similar to what, you know, if you think at a much larger scale, similar to what Elon does, but I'm talking much, much smaller scale, uh, as he starts and spins off other companies. So I'm not claiming to be one, everyone I'm, 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 I don't, I can't read that. Uh, as, as good as he does. So I'm not a scientist whatsoever. That said though, I've, I've, uh, I've just been driven by, by continuously growing and challenging myself of how do I work harder? How do I work or how do I work smarter versus harder? And so that's where the ideas yeah. come from in terms of um, scaling businesses and, and, and building new businesses and ideas. Now, it got to a point where I started to see where my gaps were, right? So every founder can identify their weaknesses, right? And and, and you have to be transparent uh, and stop lying to yourself, you know, to, to, to some degree. And I thought, okay, I'm not good at this. I've got to hire someone that's better than me to do that for me. And that requires money. Well, my, my business only 
brings this much in revenue. I need more money. And it, what inspired me to raise money was, uh, as silly as it may be, I was watching uh, Shark Tank one day. And I was like, why, why am I not doing that? So I got introduced to a venture capital fund. And uh, that's when I uh, decided to make the pitch. And they happened to be local. And uh, they, they did a good job of really hand-holding me and, and walking me through the process. So I think starting local is, is one advice I would uh, probably give everyone if they want to start. Now, you have to decide how much of your company are you willing to give up. And, and so I'm very, I'm personally very careful about how much I raise and I have a plan for the why. I don't like to raise money for the sake of raises, raising money. And, and a lot of people do that. And, and it's okay. That's their prerogative. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to raise enough to get me by. Uh, and I have to be efficient on how to deploy this capital. I'm, I'm, I'm very respectful to my investors' money, one. Uh, two, I, I, I need to, you know, this is, I'm a founder of a company that I work very hard to develop and, and get to this level by hiring the most amazing talent. That, that I can't, so I can't take credit for all of it. Uh, that said, it doesn't mean I'm willing to give away any of my shares. So someone might, once told me, well, 5% of $100 million is much better than 50% of, of you know, $10 million. And I'm, my mind just can't get there, right? I just have to, I have to see it to believe it. I've got to work towards it. And, and so that's that's how I'm built. That's smart. When you do raise, how do you decide how to deploy that capital? Well, we make a plan, right? So I don't raise money without modeling out. And I've again, kudos to my team for helping me think about this stuff because we made a plan every time. We say we're going to spend this much money and their ROI on that is going to be uh, this in six months, this in 10 months, you know, this is uh, this in one year or two years. And so we go ask our investors or hit the road and, and uh, smile and dial and you know how raising capital is. It's a yeah. second job that you take on. It's another eight hours a day on top of your 10 hours a day. At least. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And travel and so on. And you make a plan. I don't raise money and just say, okay, let's go spend it, spend it, spend it. No, 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 no. And if it's not going according to the plan, we're going to reel it back a little bit. We're going to slow it down. We're going to get back on the horse. And make sure we're on plan. Let's let's re-strategize. So, um, uh, you know, maybe so. But you think about the alternative to that is what happened if I did deploy fifty million dollars and just uh, and went crazy? Would that have been a much greater outcome? I don't know. But I'm not willing to gamble uh, at the cost of uh, you know my reputation, my investor. So I'm okay with scaling at eighty percent, a hundred percent year over year. Uh, as opposed to scaling much faster at a greater risk. And it's just a personality thing for me, Jeff. You know, my venture capital investors are behind me. Bear, burn, baby, burn, burn, baby, burn. And I'm like, I don't, you know, no, I, I've got to, I've got to understand it. I want to know where we're going. I want to know why we're doing this. And, and so it's, it's a curse and, and a blessing maybe at the same time, because I didn't raise as much as most companies did. And my revenue is beyond where they're at. I love that. Yeah, I, I love it when uh, you know companies raise crazy amounts of money, and then somebody that's bootstrapped or somebody that's very capital efficient and just raises a little bit yeah. outperforms them consistently. Yeah, I think it's just a, a great, great story, and and just it's a different mindset, I think, yeah. and just thinking that the well is is always full, and I can go raise another hundred million dollars yeah. when I burn through this. Yeah. Not always true, but sometimes that's the thought process (laughs) versus I need to be really capital efficient and get to profitability and serve clients well now. That's where I'm headed, right? Um, And and then there's the why behind it, right? Are you doing it for people to write books about you? Are you doing it so that you can provide for your your, your family and and, and kids and and, and community, you know, once as it continue to to scale? So I, I don't know. I don't know. But that's where I'm at. It's hard for me to change how I think about these things. And. Um, you know, if you're the other way, nothing is wrong with it. It's just a different approach. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's a word that seems to come up a lot in our conversations, and that is community. Mm-hmm. So how did you decide to, to focus on community banks, credit unions, and, and really focus on that? And what is what is community to you and what is the benefit of that? Well, I mean, I've, I've experienced it, right? I have 
before I no longer own as much real estate as I did before, but that was another hobby of mine where I would buy real estate, rent it out, um, played that game for a while. And it's an interesting dynamic when you go to a big box bank that's on a national brand and say, Hey, I'd like to apply for a real estate loan. And just a, who you are at, to them isn't who you are when you walk into, uh, you know, ABC Credit Union down the street or uh, Central Bank yeah. down 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 the road. And like, when you walk in, it's, hey Omar, how are you? How are the kids? It's it's <laughs> I'm, I'm, right. I'm no longer an Excel row. I am Omar that they've trusted and known for a long time. And so that's my attachment to how what community lending means. And so if you start to remove those community lenders, well, the impact of that on our community is becomes greater because there are folks that are underserved, right? There are folks that don't make the level of income that some of us do. And so, um, you know, the path to financial wellness, if, 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 if those folks are, are not getting their fair shot, uh, then then we all sort of the community starts to be impacted. And so that's what drives it from for me on the on the community side of lending. Now, from, from a broader perspective, when I started Coviance or formerly Lender Close and every other company before that, I got to know, I mean, I was a small state. We got three million people. Luckily I live in a in in, in a capital and I got to know state senators because I was introduced to them. I show up to the events, uh, you know, when I was much younger and, and, and more uh, active and, and you, you know, you shake hands with them and you, you get to learn that there's a lot of senators, state senators, even, you know, um, U.S. senators and, 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 you know, house representative that genuinely care about the state of business. And that's the community rallying behind me. And not only just the governmental side of things, even the governor got really interested in our story and cheerleading for us. And, and, and just like it, it feels good. Right. But every time Coviance and lender close would put an event out for our staff and employees, our, our friends showed up. Right. And they would cheerlead us on. And man, what, what a great sense of, of, of community that was, uh, you know, we have remote staff and they're really, really smart and talented and love having them. Uh, but seeing the staff here means a lot to me too. It's, you know, we're all working together and high-fiving and, and, and all of that. It's a lot of fun to be in that community and, and community can be defined however way you want to define it. But for me, that's what it means. I love that. You've built multiple companies and Coviance has been a, a massive success. What have been the challenges along the way? You know, has the entrepreneurial journey, has it been smooth and, and always easy? Yeah. No, well, I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen yeah. the iceberg where the iceberg has just a tip showing and then the bottom is like bigger than right, the right. globe. So, no, there is no such thing as straight line going up. It's uh, no such thing as a hockey stick without lots of Tylenol and yeah. ibuprofen and, you know, and <laughs> and a glass of wine every now and then just to ease the, yeah. ease the tension. But uh yeah. I, man, it's, it's, it's painful. It's not fun. And it comes with great cost. Uh, you, you know, being laser focused on a certain objective in, in, in one's path, whether it's, you know, going to school, building a business comes with a, a cost. I don't get to go to a lot of kids activities. I don't get to back in the past, you know, I didn't get the chance to do that because I was scaling and building. Now I'm able to do some of that because I've got an amazing team that allows me to do this. Um, but there isn't, there isn't, uh, going out with friends. There isn't, uh, you know, hanging out, uh, uh, just to hang out. It's, it's 24 hours a day of just hard work and commitment to what this, what this is. It's similar to bodybuilding. You know, you want to have a six pack, you got to be at the gym eight hours a day, eating nothing but chicken all day long. And, you know, so it's it's the same thing. It's you want to commit to something that comes with a cost. Uh, you know, my kids uh, don't see me as much, or did not at some point. So my family, uh, you know, you don't you lose a lot of relationships and friendships. So that's the personal side of it. Now and then there is the business side of it. You make a lot of tough decisions. Um, you work with friends that you love, and then all of a sudden you've got to part ways because uh, the business doesn't require that skill set. Uh, 
you know, raising money alone is, is, is a pain hiring and uh, firing folks uh, is, is, is a challenge. I mean, you got to find a talent first. It's a coin flip. And when you find them, uh, whether they can produce or not, and then you, you have to uh, realize really fast that, okay, this isn't working out and you've got to, you know, I, I've, I've always said, understand who you want to bring on and, and, and don't, don't wait too long if it's not working out. So, there's a lot of pain that comes with it. And you know this, you've done it before. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the cost aspect of it. Well, we need to build this. It's going to cost us that. <laughs> do we really want to do it? What does it do? And you're like, everybody looks at you like, are you going to make a decision? Yeah. I was like, it's not that easy. You know, I have to think about these things. <laughs> I can right. model it out in my head and I got to know what the consequences of it. But at the end of the day, it's fun. I wouldn't do it any other way. Um, you know, I, I think my personality is, is I'm aggressive. I'm a champion. I'm positive. I always try to find uh, good in things and, and just I want to make sure I am the best at everything I touch. And, and that also is a curse and a blessing at the same time. That's why I don't play sports because I do anything to win. <laughs> That's good. Well, what are the, the top three lessons you've learned as a, a founder over the years? You know, I learn it from the people I work with and, and uh, that are around me. And there are, there are people that are extremely analytical and they're afraid of taking risks. And to me, uh, you know, everything is scary until it's not. I think Gary V said that. Everything is scary until it's not. And so I try to challenge myself and my team to just think beyond what the risks are. Um well, we can't do this because it's risky. Well, why is it risky? And what is the risk? Are we willing to take that appetite of, uh, are we, do we have the appetite to take on the risk? So one is the expand your appetite to take on the risks. Um, while not, as long as you take risks that are not going to put the business or put the business, you know, out of business. Um, so, so that's the big one for me. And, and, and the other one, just, I cannot emphasize on how, much hard work and I'm talking hours, hard working hours for one to build a business, especially if you're going to bootstrap it, one, uh, and two is if you're going to deploy capital efficiently. It's, uh, it's not an easy task. It comes with great consequences, but the reward, the ROI on that later on, four, five, six, ten years after that are far greater than just raising money for an idea, for my opinion, uh, and 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 just you know owning this much of uh, an entire business. So hard work is absolutely required. Uh, and the last one, and the most important one, when you can afford it, and if you can't afford it, figure out a way to afford it. Is you bring on the right talent. That is such a key. Uh, to my success and our success. It's absolutely, I have the most amazing people while they drive me crazy because they're smarter than me sometimes. And, uh, I, I gotta listen to them. They're they're They know what they're doing they deliver. Um, and they have, they have extreme ownership and, 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 and desire for us to succeed. That's, those are my three high level, uh, lessons. That's really good. Talent, I mean, that, that just can't be overstated. It just, it's so, so important having that, the right people in the right places. And, uh, and I like that, you, you know, people that are, are smarter than you. I only hire people smarter right. than me. Yeah. And that's not that big a challenge, but, uh, cause, but you, you want the best of the best, but some people really are, are fearful of that and want to hire somebody that is maybe a little bit underneath, yeah. you know, where they are. They don't want somebody better. That's all I want is people that are better. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't need people I can intimidate or yes people. I want people to tell me I'm wrong. Yes. And I don't always appreciate it when they do. Until they do and I think about it and I go, all right, they're right. I am wrong. Yes. (laughs) But we do need that. 100%. Entrepreneurs lie to themselves so much. I'm going to do this. Yes. It's going to be a great idea and we're going to sell it. And we're just going to, you know, <laughs> no, it's not that if it was easy, everybody would have done it. Right. Right. Yeah. A lot of things I thought were a great idea uh, weren't at all, <laughs> but then you start talking to people that are smarter and, and you, you work at that yep. 
and then it turns into a great idea with more input and more yep. you know taking out and putting in and more contributions absolutely and and it and it can get there but uh, no idea comes out fully formed even though you know as as entrepreneurs i think a lot of times we think that this is the greatest thing yeah absolutely yeah. so ai is a super hot topic uh, have you used AI in your solution? Are your clients using that? Is it something that is is brand new to them? Or well, it is new. Have they been using? Let, let, I'll, I'll tell you this about our industry: they are uh, sometimes the slowest to adapt new technology that could be at risk. Uh, banks and credit unions are primarily in the business to manage risk, right? And and rightfully so in this yeah. environment. And so, saying the word AI to them, they're going to ask a lot of questions now. Does Covians uh, use AI in this decisioning? No, uh, but our, our you know in, in our process there's the algorithmic decisioning, so, but but it's given to us by our customers, right? So AI is an artificial intelligent, no, uh, but algorithm intelligence, yes, uh, and and so I don't. There are fintechs out there that actually claim. Uh, and some are reputable uh, to put forward an AI decisioning concept. We just haven't uh, dabbled into that at mass. We might have sort of explored it, uh, but I don't see in the short term, and by short term, I mean the next few years, few, I don't see a huge appetite for AI in certain segments of the lending. Now, some parts of it, right, it applies. And we're seeing that on unsecure and maybe auto lending. Uh, but for us to do it um, at, at scale, I haven't uh, been involved in projects like this. That said, though, it doesn't mean that it's not something we're looking at, as I mentioned, and actually exploring uh, internally, we just want to make sure we're giving our customers the products they're needing today. Um, and, and as I mentioned, a lot of our customers in, in this industry, they're very cautious as to what they deploy and, and the impact of it because it is a heavily regulated industry. And so, you know, having an audit go wrong could cost them as you, you know, you see in the headline, Wells Fargo pays $66 billion settlement here. And, you know, Bank of America there. So yeah. th those are things a community bank and credit union cannot afford to miss, make a misstep on. So we're very, very cautious to um, what product do we build and, and what do we put in front of our customers because their success is ours. I think there's a really smart approach. Instead of just jumping on the bandwagon and taking something that, that may be really hot in the market. Yes. You know, looking at that, you know, is it something that is going to provide any lift? Are algorithms giving us what we need today? It certainly yeah. sounds like it. So why, what would be the, the benefit other than it's just really, really hot Today's technology? Hot. Tomorrow may not be. As I said, yeah. everything is scary until it's not, <laughs> right? Right, right. And it might be sometimes for me, um, we've built products that were too soon for the market. We've built products that are now yeah. starting to, to 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 come out and make traction that we built five years ago. So I'm not saying AI is not going to be uh, the next hot thing in five years and everybody's going to be buying it. I just don't see AI, the true definition of AI, right? I'm talking full loan cycle AI from pre-application to post-close. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Uh, I think it's interesting I think it's something that the industry will swim towards at some point uh, and, and it'll move faster than, than, than people would imagine. But I, I don't feel the rally behind it today. However, it's a buzzword, buzzword that's getting a lot of attention, a lot of attention. Yeah. Execution yeah. is another yeah. is another challenge. You know, people are interested in it. They're seeing seminars. They're going to conferences about AI. But I, I, to see a credit union community bank apply it from you know, pre-relationship to post-relationship. I haven't seen that done yet. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that really kind of speaks to just, you know, experience as a, a leader, as a CEO, not just chasing trends because they're hot. Yeah. And and you're right. There, there's a lot of solutions out there that, that claim AI, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And that's a term that's, that's certainly being used very loosely right now because it's so hot. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, yeah, we got to be careful because I got to deploy capital efficiently in a, in a smart way. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to do the metaverse spent $10 billion on it and then <laughs> set it down. It, it's easy to chase shiny objects. Absolutely. <laughs> well, if you could summarize Covines's impact on the lending industry in one sentence, how would you describe it? Oh boy. I think our focus in one sentence Maybe two. Yeah. Well, for, yeah. For, for us, it's our focus is expanding the, the, the total addressable market for our customers, banks and credit unions, and giving their borrowers the ultimate borrowing experience. You know, and, and, and that's the focus. It's, it's changing the way we lend because I have owned multiple real estates. Most of your audience maybe are homeowners or will be homeowners at some point. And having gone through a process of applying for a refinance transaction, a purchase transaction, a home equity loan transaction, the fact that I can walk into a credit union or a bank, apply for a $10,000 personal loan and leave within 30 minutes. But yet, Going back to that same banks and credit union, asking for a $10,000 home equity loan, putting my house as collateral, meaning if I don't pay, you get to take the house back and you're going to make me wait 30 days. Something is wrong. Yes. Yes. You know, and, and, and we're on a mission to change that. That's awesome. Because yeah, speed to, to go ahead, Jeff. Oh, speed to close is Absolutely. so important. Because interest rates, fees, payments, all of that becomes a commodity. The ones that are going to win at the end, they're going to win on borrower experience. What is your customer yes. experience? Everybody else has the same rate. So what makes you different? And that's really unique because the, the lending industry, it is correct. You know, the, the products are, are pretty much the same. I mean, yeah. say everybody's dealing with the same rates, uh, same, same everything. The programs may differ a little bit. Yep. Uh, but what, what is the, what is a real differentiator? And I think you hit it exactly right. And that is the experience. And, and I've, there are lenders that I've worked with that, you know, I will only work with them because they're so great. And there's others that, you know, I've had to work with for one reason or another that I don't ever want to work with again. But it is, it's all about the experience. And, and then you tell other people about that too. Well, the average, the average credit union member, which is what they call their customers member is increasing, not decreasing. So, you know, and then Apple comes up with a, a savings account. And then within four days, they get $4 billion in deposits. Uh, no credit union or community bank in history <laughs> or in recent history, I'd say in the last 10, 20 years, has never done that. So something is, is, if, if we're not understanding that the next generation of members and borrowers are don't care about popcorn in the lobby or free toaster when I open a checking account, they care about your digital right. experience, then, then we're missing the mark. That's really, really good. Where can people learn more about you and about Covance online? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn personally, uh, but please check out Coviance.com. Um, it's not just me that makes the engine roar. It's 70-plus uh, people here that are uh, just making sure the factory continues to run. And so uh, Coviance.com, and uh, you know, please uh, tell your friends about us and reach out to me if there's anything I can do. Outstanding. Thanks for being on the show, Omar. Thank you, sir. appreciate it, Jeff. All right. Very good. And uh, one last question. We'll do this as a, a separate segment. Recent studies showed that guys that wear black shirts in interviews are 20% smarter than the average founder. Uh, what's your take on that? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, my, my, my kids will argue otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. And then there was another study that guys wearing black shirts with beards are like 25% smarter. <laughs> now that one I believe in. <laughs> and then, you know the, the ball right. the ball i think we got another 10 percent of that that's funny there you go that's funny all right we'll, we'll take that we'll actually use that as a short 
and and that'll be something that'll that'll get some laughs. All right, I love it. I'll send that over to you. Thank you. <laughs> hey, really, really enjoyed the interview. I think it was fantastic. I appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks for making time for me. Thanks again, Omar, for coming on the show and sharing your founder journey and relevant insights. One of the most insightful things was about having a solid plan for how to use capital and then the discipline to stick to that plan. It can be a real distraction. It's so easy for us to chase shiny objects or, or you know burn to get just out of control. So I really appreciate that, Omar. You can learn more about Omar at Coviance.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. And check out the video version of the podcast on YouTube as well. But wherever you listen, please subscribe, follow the show, and most importantly, let your friends know about it. Everyone who subscribes this week gets a pair of dining decoder glasses. Put these on and suddenly all Yelp and Google reviews for every restaurant you see appears right in your field of vision like a mud. So say goodbye to dining roulette and no with your dining decoder glasses. However we get this stuff from. Well, join us Thursday on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series where my guest is best-selling author, endurance, and strongman competitor, Jason Criddle. He's the founder of Smarter Commerce and Smarter Marketing. We'll talk about an athletic mindset in business along with SaaS investing, sales, and marketing. And next Tuesday, we have founder Stacy Chan. She is an award-winning reporter and media expert turned SaaS founder. She is co-founder of generative AI company called One Billion Stories, and they just launched their flagship product, Videofy.ai, which helps brands and publishers scale video and social media creation. It's an amazing tool. You got to check this out. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!